Amen. Thank you guys for leading us so well. Team, we love you. Good morning. You doing all right? God is so good, isn't he? I'm excited to see what he's going to do in the lives of our young people uh, at SOAR. Um, hey, there is actually um, a way you can be with them. You can be praying for them. And uh, we'll put a, uh, I think Julian actually already put it up on our, on our uh, fa- family page, on the Facebook page. There's a way that you can kind of even sign up and say, hey, I'm praying for this uh, conference this week, praying for these sessions, praying that God moves in the lives of our kids. So uh, we would love it if you would do that, pray with us, be with us as we lift up uh, the name of Jesus together at this conference and pray that he would work and move in our kids. Hey, also next week, uh, it's looking like we might have some baptisms next week. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Excited about that. And so uh, if, if you have somebody in your family, if you have a child that, that has come to know the Lord and you've, they're ready to be baptized, come talk to me. Right, or maybe you have never been baptized and you want to be obedient to Jesus and, and follow him in baptism. We can do that next week, okay? So we're excited about next week and doing that. If that's something you're interested in, come talk to me about it. All right, well, we've been in this series in the book of Acts. I want to give you a quick little recap. For, it seems like for a while we've been following Paul in this journey from Caesarea where he was in prison. Caesarea Maritima, which is, which is right there on, on the coast uh, literally in a prison cell in the palace of, of uh, uh, Caesar, in essence, from Rome. Uh, it was built by Herod the Great. He stays there for two years. He finally gets a chance to get on a ship and be uh, uh, appeal before Caesar in Rome. So it's a pretty good trip. It's a trip that should take four weeks. It ends up taking four months, right? Those are not good trips when that happens like that. There's always some kind of issue that's happened. And we've been following Paul in this issue, in this uh, journey, as he goes around the Mediterranean um, to finally get to Rome. But as we follow the last few weeks, a great storm comes upon them, pushes them out to sea. We see that after 11 days out at sea, uh, that uh, they begin to get hopeless. They begin to lose all hope. Uh, you know, and what I love about that is that even the Apostle Paul sometimes lost hope. Even the Apostle Paul was authentic enough to go, I don't know where our salvation is going to come from. I'm, I'm, we don't know, Luke writes. That's a big deal. <laughs> and so God sends an angel to remind Paul who he is and what he has said. He encourages Paul. Paul turns around, encourages the rest of the people on the ship, says, listen, we're not going to die. We are going to lose the ship. We are going to run aground, but we're not going to die. So take heart. Take courage. Be encouraged. And it was just, we just keep following this story. Three days later, it's been two weeks, they still haven't eaten. And we see Paul rise up, we talked about last week, in incredible leadership as he takes hold of the moment. Because of his compassion for these people, and because of the promise of God, he, he, he stands up as a leader. He shows up, he speaks up. And God uses him incredibly to model thankfulness, gratefulness for God's provision, the fact that he's going to save them, and then Paul starts eating. And the text says after he starts eating, everybody else goes, well, I guess let's start eating. They start eating. They get strength. And it brings us to our text this morning, and uh, we're going to finally have some closure of what's going to happen with this ship. If you have your Bible, turn over with me in Acts chapter 27, verse 39. Here we are at daybreak. The sun is up. 
and they can see what's going on. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on uh, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail uh, to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. God, I feel like we, the last few weeks, we felt the tension. We felt uh, the suspense of not knowing how this was going to work out. And yet today, God, we get a little closure to that. And we see so clearly that you are a God of promises kept. So, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd lead us to all truth that in this time we have together that you would increase and I would decrease and that you would give us all the courage to be obedient to what you'd have us to do in our lives, to know you and follow you more. It's our prayer, Lord. Please be with us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I forgot to get uh, my fancy clicker. We bought a fancy clicker for me to use and I forgot to get it. But I want to show you a couple of things on the map. It helps me always to look on a map and get a sense of what we're talking about. If you look up here with me, down on the bottom right, you see Caesarea Maritima. They take a ship over to Sidon. Then they take another ship all around uh, the Mediterranean to Myra. They get on this grain ship that's come from uh, Alexandria, Egypt. It goes around to Rhodes, Sinaitis over to Crete at Salomone, Lycia, and Fair Havens. And this is where Paul says, guys, we shouldn't go. <laughs> we don't need, this is the wrong time of year to be out at open sea. They don't listen to Paul, remember? They don't even pay him any, any mind at all. And they get pushed out to sea for 14 days, 476 miles from that little spot called Clauda or Cauda in your Bible, all the way to the shore of Malta, 476 miles at about two miles per hour, just slowly moving. 14 days later, they wrecked this ship on the shore of Malta. I want to show you a picture of what's called nowadays St. Paul's Bay. I guess you can figure out why it's called that. That's a statue of St. Paul in St. Paul's Bay on the island of Malta. All right, we're going to close in a little bit so you can see the statue. That's the beach you can see as well. There's the statue of Paul. It was placed there in the 12th century. And then we're going to look from behind Paul and see the beautiful bay and potentially where Paul and the ship uh, were struggling and anchored before they came in in the morning. This, this could be the very place we're reading about today. I don't know about you, but it helps me to see that and think about that, right? This is not just some fairy tale story. This is a story that actually happened. In fact... Uh, in uh, about 2005, there was a big news story. I don't know if you remember it or not, but a news story that came out that said um, they had found the anchors of the ship that Paul was on. I mean, our text this morning says that at, at daybreak, 
they decide to make a run for the beach and they cut off all the anchors. And the last we've heard about anchors from our text last week was that they were at 90 feet. Remember the sounding at 120 feet and the sounding at 90 feet? Well, in 1971, somebody found four Roman uh, anchors at 90 feet depth. But it wasn't at St. Paul's Bay. (laughs) It was at another bay called St. Thomas. This is one of those anchors. Isn't that phenomenal? That could literally be one of the anchors from Paul's ship. It had inscriptions of Roman and Egyptian gods. It was a ship from Alexandria. Uh, The anchors were in the same general area, not more than 40 yards apart, all four at the same time. Makes sense to me. Again, they're from the same time period. They're at 90 feet. They're 40 yards uh, apart. What's funny is two of them were melted down for divers' weight belts because they didn't know what they had. One was lost to history and, and one was preserved. My point being, this journey happened, didn't it? This, maybe this is part of the History Channel guy in me that's just coming out. I just love this stuff. But I want us to look a little deeper into the text this morning. There's four things I want us to see. I wanted you to get a picture of, of those things and see this anchor, but we can, we can take that down now. Four things I want you to see about the text this morning. The first one is this, the shipwreck. Luke gives us a lot of details on what happened, right? See, Paul told those on board that they were going to run aground. They knew it was coming. He even sort of speaks to that when he said last week, you haven't eaten in 14 days because of suspense. He actually says, you've been, it's because it's been such a suspenseful situation. Uh, they just couldn't eat, or they were seasick, or whatever the case may be, but they couldn't eat. So they knew it was coming. Uh, he had prepared them in his leadership speech from last week, telling them they needed strength, so they got to they eat, take eat of the grain, and get some strength in them so that they can swim and make it to shore. Again, a leader looking further than the immediate, looking out further. But now it's daybreak, and uh, the sailors, um, they, they, they didn't recognize this land. They made this journey all the time. The, the sailors on this grain vessel, they would have made the same journey all the time, taking grain to Rome. And yet, in this text, Luke says, they didn't recognize the land. So they were at a different place than they had ever been before. They didn't recognize where they were, which is interesting. So it's daybreak. Uh, and I love the fact that Luke has taken down these, all these details. Don't you love all these details that help us get the picture and the view of what's going on? He says, we heard the shore. So we knew we were getting close, right? He says, there were rocks uh, and there's actually a, a jetty of rocks in that area that runs out really far. So if the ship is getting close to the jetty, it could sound like a shoreline to, to warn them, to let them know. They measured the depths, 120 feet, 90 feet before they lowered the anchors. Luke says, we saw a beach and a bay. He's giving all these descriptors, which is good because it helps us get a sense of maybe where he's talking about. Right? So we're not sure if it was... In fact, St. Paul's Bay, that they named St. Paul's Bay in the 12th century, <laughs> or if it was in St. Thomas Bay where these anchors were found. We're not sure. It doesn't really matter that much. It's a beautiful place to be shipwrecked, um, if you have to be shipwrecked. But uh, I love that Luke takes all these details down. So Paul had made an effort, remember, to keep everyone on board. The sailors want to get in the lifeboat and, and make it to, to safely to the beach. Paul keeps them in the boat together. And I love this image. This is a collective effort of everybody in the ship. 
And they're going, all right, I see the beach. You see the beach? We're going for the beach, right? Let's do this. And it, it's kind of like a collective. Everybody on the ship, be praying, be hoping, be looking in that direction. We're going to make for the beach. We're going to go for it. And he gives details to this effort. He, they cast off the anchors, leaving them in the sea. They loosen the ropes so that they can have uh, uh, these things. What are those things called? Uh, those things, yes. Just testing you. But everybody, get, you know, do something. Let's get to the beach. So they've done everything they can. They lower the sail so that the wind will push them. And they don't get very far. Who knows how far they get from where their position was to where they run aground, just like Paul said. I read this week that the, the uh, sand around Malta has a very uh, clay-rich content. And so they, they said that, you know, for all the time when ships are around Malta, they can drop an anchor and that ship won't go anywhere because the, the type of soil that is under the sand, it just, it just locks it in. So they, they've, they've hit bottom, they've run aground into this clay-rich sand, they are not going anywhere. Look, look at verse 41. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. Uh, the bow stuck and remained immovable. It wasn't going anywhere. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. So it happened exactly the way the angel said, exactly the way Paul uh, relayed that message to the people. Now all of a sudden, the second thing I want you to see is that we're in a life or death situation. And the life or death situation isn't about drowning. It's not about drowning. Look with me, verse 42. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. Here's what Roman law says. If you're a Roman soldier and you are protecting a, a prisoner, and that prisoner gets away, then you pay the price of that man's death, and you die. Do you remember the story in uh, Philippians, the Philippian jailer? He thinks that Paul and, and, and Silas are gone, and he takes his sword, and he's ready to, to run himself through to commit suicide. Why? Because he's a dead man, because he's a Roman guard. And if they were to have escaped, then he would be killed anyway. Same thing here. These Roman soldiers know that if, if these prisoners get away, they're dead men. It's also a good proof, remember I talked about the fact that these prisoners were probably already condemned to death. Remember that? They're on their way to Rome, and in Rome there's a big Colosseum where they do what? They have Roman games where they take prisoners who've been condemned to death, and they let them play the games and die. It's a good chance they're on their way to Rome to die in the Colosseum. So the soldiers go, it doesn't really matter if they die in the Colosseum or here. Let's kill them so we don't die if we lose one, right? Makes sense. It makes sense. But then again, we see Paul saved yet again by a Roman soldier. How many times have I said, here he's saved by, by the Romans, right? I'm counting six. He's saved in Corinth by a Roman He's saved in uh, Ephesus, and his team is saved in Ephesus in their theater or Colosseum. Uh, he's saved in the temple by a Roman. He's saved in the Sanhedrin uh, by the Roman. He's saved by a Roman army taken to Caesarea, and now he's saved by Julius the Roman, right? So here's these all over and over again, Romans are saving Paul. 
Now what's interesting is, why would Julius save Paul? Why would he do that? Had, had Julius come to faith? Maybe all this time, fearful of his life, suspense driven on a boat where you're about to, to sink and die, you're having some pretty spiritual conversations with Paul. Right? Maybe, maybe he just thinks, I don't know if he's a believer, but he, he, he thinks Paul's special, special enough that we should save Paul. Whatever the reason being, it's a very risky decision by Julius. So now Julius is taking on his own head and all the other soldiers' heads that Paul is right about an angel saying that they're all going to live. It's a big deal. Julius saves Paul. But to save Paul, he saves all the prisoners. I love that. All right, here's the third thing I want you to see. Julius says, every man for himself. Every man for himself, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So if you can swim, you see the beach, go for it. If you can't, the ship is already in such bad uh, situation. The ship, you are literally sinking. I mean, he's like, hey, by the way, I mean, it's going down. There are pieces of the ship so that he could look around and say, just grab that, grab that plank that just came off the ship and jump overboard and, and go for it. It's every man for himself. No longer a collective effort as a, as a uh, ship. He's just saying, if you can swim, go. If you can't, hold on to something and pray for dear life. Prisoners that were in captivity on this whole journey have this one moment of freedom to fight for their lives. They have this one moment that has been given to them by Julius' kindness and Paul's influence in Julius' life. The last thing I want us to see this morning is this. I just love this. Every time I read it, I just go, yes! The last sentence of our text, verse 44, this last half of verse 44, look what it says. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. I love this sentence. I love the closure of this. It brings finality to this restlessness that we've had the last few weeks. The suspense we've felt as we've been in the story. The fear of some of you are afraid of water and this has been like, oh, I can't even go there, right? Some of you don't swim that well and you're, even now in this moment you're like, we got to go for it on a plank. Okay. But this just brings closure. All were brought safely to land. It's almost as if you can hear God going, yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) That's exactly what I told you was going to happen. All would be brought safely to land. That's what I said. God sent an angel to show up and encourage Paul. He told him the ship would run aground, and it did. He he said that they would lose the ship, and it would break up. It did. But he also said that everyone would live, and they did. Jesus reminded Paul in the prison cell, you've got to go to Rome and be a witness. And then the angel shows up and speaks to Paul and says, Paul, you've got to go to Rome and be a witness. And Paul goes to Rome to be a witness. Everything God has said, he has done. Not just in this story, in your life, and in my life, and in this world, because he's a promise-keeping 
God. Listen, I, I, love, I love the adventure of this story. It's really, it's fun. I mean, this, is, this is amazing. You're just, as we read these stories, and this is one of the reasons I love Acts, it's just such an adventurous, exciting story and narrative. I, I love the fact that there's this great storm and yet an angel that shows up to give them encouragement. It doesn't calm the sea. Did you notice that? God doesn't always calm the sea, but he does bring encouragement in your life because he's got a purpose for the storm. I love the, the angel. I love, I love the reality of the hopelessness of Paul and Luke. It's a very real moment that Luke records, and we didn't see any rescue of hope. And yet, the encouragement of the angel. I love the, the sailors trying to sneak away and, and then the, the, the soldiers cutting the boat. I love this, this back and forth. I love Paul rising to the occasion as a leader because he loves people. He's been praying for all these people and God says, because you've been praying for them, I'm gonna give them all to you, that you're all gonna survive. 276 people. I love all this. I love Julius. <laughs> Literally, as the ship is sinking beneath their feet, with pieces of the boat around them, decides to save the lives of the prisoners because of Paul. I love all this. But what I think, as I've prayed about this, you know, I've told you this before, sometimes these narrative texts are hard to find spiritual depth. Sometimes you just go, wow, that's a great story, but I just pray, Lord, what, what is the thing that you've been saying over and over, not just in this text, but in a larger text, because it's not my job to kind of come up with a story that sounds kind of good, right? It's my job to somehow find a way to interpret what God said to the people through this letter to you. I, I don't make up stuff. I, I, wanna, I want you to hear what God's heart is through his word. That's what we need to hear. And as I looked over these, these passages and these messages, and I get to this last verse Everyone makes it safely to shore. I could, it was just screaming in my heart, God is faithful. He's a promise keeper. He does what he says. It's just this beautiful closure to the story. The word of God even confirms that reality. Psalm 145, 13 says, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. God is faithful, friends. Joshua 23, 14 you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that no one has, uh, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. God is faithful. Second Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises, not some, for all of the promises of God are yes in him. That verse is telling us every promise comes true. It's yes. Yes, it happens. Yes, he provided. Yes, he's a good and faithful God. Yes, 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 every time. This morning, I've got to tell you, this week I was praying through this and encouraged by this reality. But I wanted to, I just kept praying, Lord, what, what more do I share? What more do we do? We, think about this morning, and I couldn't help but just think of the reality as a body of Christ, we come together, we need to hear that God is faithful. 
we need to hear. We need to be reminded of the promises of God. So I'm just going to pray over you. I'm going to speak over you the promises of God, some of them, just a few of them this morning. I'm thankful that Luke has recorded this story. I'm thankful that all are brought safely to land. And just as he recorded his faithfulness in this story of Paul, listen, friends, your life is recording the faithfulness of God. Just as we see in Acts, your heart is remembering the things that God has done. Or your heart is holding out hope for the things that God will do. What promises of God have you experienced of his faithfulness? That's a question for you right now to ponder in your heart. What promises of God have you experienced of his faithfulness? Or or what promise of God are you looking to hold on to hope for? Because he will be faithful. I want to just read some of these over you. Maybe you've been afraid recently. Maybe you've been concerned or worried. Write these down as the Lord, as you're feeling connected to these promises. And remember that God is a promise-keeping, faithful God. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, I told you this the other day. This is the most uh, commonly, this is, that we see this promise and this command more in Scripture than any other. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you, right? We hold on to that. Maybe you've been shaken, you've been unsettled, you haven't been able to sleep at night. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, and we have it, don't we? He says, but take heart. The same exact thing Paul said to the sailors. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, yes, you're gonna face some junk in life. Yes, you're gonna go through difficulty. You won't know what to do, you're gonna be overwhelmed, but I've overcome it all. So take heart, be encouraged. Maybe you've been concerned about your needs being met. Right? How are you going to make ends meet? There's too much month at the end of the money. Left over. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We jump down to verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them all. God knows your need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He knows you're waiting on that job. He knows. He knows you have a need and you don't know how, where it's going to come from. He knows. Seek him, not your need. Have you struggled with sin? Some of you come in here this morning and you can't seem to get out from under this addiction. You can't seem to, to see this thing Stop in your life. You need forgiveness. I love this passage. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, praise God, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So sinner, listen, let us then confident, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christian, have you doubted? Are you struggling? Come to the throne of grace where you receive mercy and find grace. Praise God for that promise. Some of you are wondering, how does this story that I'm living, this health situation, how, how does this thing that's happened in my life or something that happened in my past or what I've done or not done, God, how can you use me for your glory? I don't get it. And how can you use this situation? Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Have faith, friends, to know that no matter how difficult this journey has been, God wants to use it for good and for his glory. Maybe you're exhausted this morning. You barely made it in the door. <laughs> Maybe you need rest. Maybe it's not even a physical rest. It's a spiritual rest. Maybe you're weary this morning. Can I encourage you with the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where he says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or Isaiah 40, 29 says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no mighty increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So wait. So rest. So in faith we trust. Maybe this morning, Christian, you need to be reminded of who you are. So often we forget who we are. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were a, uh, not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, were, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who you are. And we forget, don't we? Well, today we've got an opportunity to remember, <laughs> to proclaim his excellencies, to thank him for taking us from darkness to marvelous light, for giving us mercy. You want to know if you know Jesus as your Savior? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What a beautiful promise. Do you look back over your life and go, no, I, I make mistakes, yes, but I know God is changing me. I know God is growing me. I know I'm learning. I know he's, he's, he's equipping me. But the good news is, as Scott said this morning, he's not done equipping you. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's not finished with us. Be encouraged. 
maybe the craziness of this culture and the news and all the other junk that gets me down like you gets to be too much. John 14, 1 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Is that not a beautiful promise? Jesus is preparing a place for us. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is not just that he died and rose again. It's also that he's coming again for us. We hold on to that promise. This is not the end. And until it is the end, I want to give one more to you. Acts 1.8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Some of you say, yeah, that's the beautiful promise for those disciples. Did those disciples make it to the ends of the earth? We haven't even made it to the ends of the earth. That's why I know that promise is not just for them, it's for you, it's for me. God will give us the power we need to be his witnesses, to tell his story of grace until we take it to the ends of the earth. Listen, I wanna close. I don't know what promise of God that you're thinking about in your heart that God has been faithful to. I don't know what it is that's on your mind, what you're holding out hope for. But I know with all that I am, by the power of the word of God, that he is faithful. Friends, I can't look back over my life and go, well, you missed missed that one, God. You weren't good to me there, God. I, I didn't eat back there, Lord. I can't think of one second, of one minute, of one day that God hasn't been faithful to me. He's a faithful God. So what does that look like for you this morning? If God is faithful, when he says he'll do something, he brings everybody safely to shore because that's what he said he'll do. What does that mean for your life today, July 4th, 2021? What promise do you need to hold on to? Where do you need to be obedient to Jesus because of his faithful promises? What does it look like? Let's not just come in here and and get hyped up and sing some songs. God, may there be change in us to move us to be a different people, to love outside of ourselves the way we see Scott loving and giving and trusting because God is faithful. May our hope May our faith be encouraged this morning and this week so that we can live every single day trusting that God is who he says he is, that he will be true. In college, my favorite song, one of them was, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. I love it so much. And he has been. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the way that you love us. God, thank you that 
every promise you've ever made us, you've kept. I identify with all these things, God, but it's so easy to forget who we are. We allow ourselves to, to stay in the dark instead of allowing the Lord to move us to his marvelous light. God, may we be new creations. May we be living for you. May we be engaged in community and connectedness in our city groups and in accountable relationships in our lives. May we be the people of God you call us to be, Lord. By your grace, by your mercy. Thank you for keeping those promises, Jesus. You always do. And you always will. In your precious name I pray. Amen.